Everybody take their Bibles and turn to John chapter 10, okay? John chapter 10. If uh, you don't have a Bible, the verses will all be in your program or they'll come up on the jumbotrons. We want you to see the Word of God for yourself. And as always, if you're here and you don't own a copy of the Word of God, all you have to do is go into a room. It's right outside those doors. You see where it says the altar? Those doors will open when we're done. There's another set of doors. And the pastors and elders of our church, the spiritual leaders of our church are in there. And we'd love to give you a Bible. It's free. And we give out lots of them. And we want to make sure that if you don't own a copy of the Word of God, that you, that you have your, your own. Uh, we're going to begin a, a brand new little mini-series here today at Big Valley Grace called Greater, Overcoming the, the, the Lesser Life. And, and I want to begin by, by taking us back to a verse that I looked at last weekend, Easter weekend. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. And in verse 10, he said, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy this is the enemy's goal for your life. This is what your enemy wants to do to you. He wants to mess up your life. But Jesus said, my purpose is way different. My purpose is to give them, you, a rich and satisfying life. That's what it says. Those are the very words of Jesus. It gives us a, a pretty um, uh, weighty piece of information there. He tells us, hey, we got, we got an enemy. You got one. You, you, you may not have thought about him today, which is just the way he likes it. You may not think about him very often, which is exactly the way he likes it. But the reality is, is that you have an enemy and he has a goal and a purpose for your life or for your marriage or for your family. And that's to simply steal, kill, and destroy. And some of you have been victimized by the enemy, haven't you? But Jesus says, I got a different thought. I got a different goal for your life. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. One version says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, beloved, I believe that Jesus is talking about eternal life here. In other words, the reason Jesus came and died on a cross was to save us from the penalty of our sin, which is death, physical death, and way more importantly, spiritual death. And when you give your life over to Jesus Christ, he gives you the free gift of eternal life. And I, I talked a lot about that last weekend. Jesus said this in John chapter 3. He said, for God loved the world. And that word world there doesn't mean the globe. He didn't love planet Earth. The world is people. For God so loved people, human beings, you, me, that he gave his one and only son so that everybody who believes in him, and that's Jesus, will not perish but have eternal life. God wants us to have this unbelievable life, this eternal life that will go on forever and ever and ever in heaven with him. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And he's talking about this gift of, of life, this gift of eternal life. It's, it's indescribable. Um, there were a few people in the scriptures that God allowed to have a, a glimpse of heaven. Just a couple. One of them was Paul, and he was told by God that he wasn't allowed to write about heaven. A lot of people think that's why his, his eyes were so bad, is after he got a glimpse of heaven, something happened to his eyes. Because we know he had a, 
uh, 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 an eye problem. But those that wrote about heaven, it could be John in Revelation, uh, those in the Old Testament, whenever you read the writings about heaven, it's kind of weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense. You can think that, man, these guys, what were they on, man? Were they all looped up? Were they all goofed up? I mean, what are they talking about? Because they're writing about something that's very difficult to explain. Um, if, I don't know, Stevie Wonder was up here, how do you explain to him what the color red is when he has no idea what colors are? How would you do that? How do you go about explaining the, the color red to somebody who doesn't even know what colors are, basically? You understand that? And so here were these writers who were trying to explain, really, the unexplainable heaven. And Paul here nails it when he says, thanks be to God for his in." Describable gift. This life that we're all going to experience once we take our last breath here, Christian, is going to be indescribable. It'll be like nothing else we've ever experienced. Someday, if you know Jesus as your Savior, when you get to heaven, you're going to experience life, as I said, like you've never experienced it down here on planet Earth. But I also believe that this side of heaven, if you've surrendered your life over to Jesus, if he's your, your shepherd, you can experience life at a whole different level right now. A life that is rich and satisfying, a, a life filled with great significance and, and purpose. Uh, it's the greatest life you could ever live. It's anything but boring or mundane or whatever. Helen Keller once said, life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing. And the life that God has planned for you right now is the greatest adventure ever. Here's the bottom line. You don't have to die to experience this life that Jesus came to give you. You can experience it right now. I believe it's possible. But here's the bummer. Too many people, too many Christians never experience this abundant life or this rich and satisfying life down here on planet Earth. Yes, they'll experience it when they get to heaven. But down here on planet Earth, they, they just kind of exist. In fact... A lot of people die before they die. And that might describe some of you right now. They die on the inside. They're dead on the inside. And for the rest of their lives, they just kind of vegetate or exist or whatever. So some of you right now feel this way, don't you? You know Jesus as your Savior, but life is anything but rich and satisfying. So why does this happen, or, or how does this happen? Why do people die on the inside? Why, why do believers die on the inside? Why, why do some believers never experience this abundant life, this unbelievable, crazy life down here on planet Earth? Well, I think there's lots of reasons, but today I'm going to just share with you seven. Okay, I'm going to make seven comments. There'll be kind of brief, and then I'll have a little application point at the end, and I'll trust that the Holy Spirit will do something with it in your lives. These are things that will mess up your life. These are things that will mess up the life that Jesus wants you to experience right now down here on planet Earth. These are the things that might, you might put it this way, they suck the passion out of life. These are the things that rob you of your enthusiasm for life. These are the things that, that get you to settle for the lesser life. Now, if you'll zero in on what I'm going to say, for some of you, today could be a life-changing day. Really, really can be. For some of you, if you'll really listen and then make a few changes in your life, 
This is going to be a, a great day for you. So, so, so number one, okay, number one. If you don't know God's will, you'll settle for the lesser life. If you don't know his will, if you don't know God's will. Listen to these words from Solomon, wisest man that ever lived. He wrote a number of books in the Old Testament. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. In other words, people die, and then people are born, and then they die, and then they're born, and nothing ever changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Round and round it goes, blowing in circles Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the waters return again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're just never content. Now, here's a guy that's not real thrilled about life. <laughs> this is a guy who just, man... You don't want to hang out with right now. Beloved, that phrase, under the sun, I want, you to, I want you to understand what's happening here. That little phrase, under the sun, simply means down here on planet Earth or apart from God. You see, Solomon had somehow lost track of God's will for his life or God's purpose for his life. He, he got his eyes off the Lord. And when your mind isn't on God's will or God's purposes, it only has one place to go. And that's on worldly things. So your mind only, only got two places to go. It's either going to be on godly things, holy things, God's will kind of things, or it's going to go to worldly things. It only has two places to go. And obviously at this moment, Solomon's got his mind on the wrong thing. Because everything isn't meaningless. Is, are the scriptures meaningless? No. Are your children meaningless? No. But everything just kind of seems meaningless if you got your eyes off of God's will. And that's what's happened to Solomon. Listen, when you get your eyes off of God's will and it gets on to worldly things, let me tell you what will happen. You'll settle for the lesser life. You will. You'll all of a sudden just become content, you know, just walking around on planet Earth, sucking in on the air, eating the food, just kind of waking up each day. Good Lord, it's morning. Instead of somebody who wakes up and goes, man, it's morning. Man, you're good, Lord. Beloved, nothing can compensate for knowing God's will for your life. Nothing. Not cash in the bank. Not some fancy title at work or the right job. Not the right spouse. Not living in the right neighborhood. Not coming to church on, this, you know, on the weekend. Not being in a small group. Not sex. Nothing. Nothing. When you don't know why you're here, it robs you of the life that Jesus came to give you. It goofs everything up, which means you'll settle for the lesser life. In fact, you show me a person that doesn't have a clear purpose for their life, and I'll show you a person that's dying a slow death. I'll show you a person that's not really living, but they're just simply taking up space down here on planet Earth. 
And tragically, this describes too many Christians are simply taking up space here on planet Earth because they don't know what God's will is for their lives. So what is your purpose? What is God's will for your life? Well, the answer to that question would take more time than I have right now. But let me give you a simple thought, okay? God's word is God's will. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I just brought the cookie jar down to where everybody in the room, if you got a half a cell working, can get it. God's word, and all of you either have it in your hands or you have it on your smartphone, or I'll give you a free copy of it. Every one of you knows exactly what God's will is. Every one of you. Because this is his will. Right here. The Bible is where you find God's will for your life, which means you need to make time to read it. That makes, that makes some sense, right? I mean, if this is God's will, you, you ought to read it, right, Christian? If this is God's will, you ought, you ought to study it. If this is God's will, you, you ought to memorize it. If this is God's will, you ought to, you ought to meditate on it. The walk of faith, you know, this is a pretty simple thing. It's not like building a space shuttle. This is God's will. So every one of us that named the name of Christ needs to spend, spend, spend time reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it. Come into men's ministries where you can read it and study it. Come into women's ministries where you can read it and study it. There's lots of places here, lots of small groups, all kinds of, you know, ministries where the whole point is we get into the scriptures. Why? Because this is God's will. And we want people to know it. Because you can't live out God's will if you don't know anything about it. Now let me get a little bit more specific, okay? Give you one thought here. In Matthew chapter 22, an expert in religious law came and and, and ask Jesus a, a question. Okay, it says this in Matthew chapter 22. Teacher, that's talking about Jesus. Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So remember, there wasn't a New Testament back then. All you basically had was the Old Testament. And he's saying, hey, of the big 10 commandments that Moses, you know, came off the hill with, and some of the other laws in the Old Testament. Jesus, if you had to boil it all down, what's the most important law? What, what's, you know, give me, the, give me the, the short version, man. What's the one thing I gotta do? And Jesus, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all the law, all of them. And the demands of the prophets. Think about all the prophets in the Old Testament. Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and, and all of them. If you, if you took all the things that they said and all the laws that God has given, if, if you took them all and you boiled them down, you get to love the Lord your God with everything you got. That's number one. And then love others the way you love yourself. Beloved, this is God's will for your life. This is your greatest purpose in life. First and foremost, God wants you to love him above all else. That's it. That he would be the, the central focus of your life. That when you wake up in the morning, you say, God, look, your will is what matters to me. Today, I want to make sure that I love you above all else. Uh, I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love my relatives, and I love the people in my small group, and I love the people in my church, but, but God, my love for you is, is the most important love. It's, it, it's the primary love in my life, and God, I got to keep that one right, because if I got that one right, then everything else is going to be okay. 
That's God's will for your life, that you keep that perspective, that you love him more than you love anything else. And the second thing we know is God's will for our lives is that he wants you to love and care about other people. But he doesn't want you to care about other people more than him. He wants this to be the first thing in your life. And then that is something that springboards you into loving and caring about other people. Your spouse, your children, your parents, those that you do life with, whoever they might be. And when you're not clear on these two things, you'll never experience the life that Jesus came to give you. Or if you are clear on them and you choose to blow them off, you'll settle for the lesser life. Number two, if your schedule is all out of whack, you'll, you'll settle for the lesser life. Some of these all are interconnected, maybe like the, um, the Olympic rings are all kind of interconnected. Some of these are just the same. Once again, Solomon said this. He said, there is a time for everything. And everything on earth has its special season. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant. And there's a time to pull up plants. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. There's a time to destroy and a time to build. There's a time to cry and a time to laugh. There's a time to be sad and a time to dance. There's a time to throw away stones and a time to gather them. There's a time to hug and a time not to hug. There's a time to look for something and a time to stop looking for it. There, there's a time to keep things and a time to throw things away. There's a time to tear apart and there's a time to sow. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a time to love and there's a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. Beloved, there's a, a, a beautiful rhythm to life, or there's supposed to be. There's a time and a, and a purpose for everything in life. There, there's a time to work and a time to rest, a time to strive and a time to have fun. But when life gets out of balance, it messes everything up, and you'll end up settling for the lesser life. Because the enemy is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy doesn't want you to have the life that Jesus wants you to have. And one of the great tactics that he uses is he gets you to go after the good instead of the very best. You see, if all we had to do was choose between good and evil, life would be easy, wouldn't it? Hey, Satan's been around a long time. <laughs> he, he doesn't put that choice in front of us. You know what? We can get so goofed up, he will put that choice in front of us, and sometimes we just choose evil. But most of the time, you know what we do, he does? Here's God's very best. Here it is. Here's God's very best. But here's something that's pretty good. And we bite on that. Let me, let, me, let me give you an example. If your life basically revolves around work, you know, you wake up in the morning, you spend 10, 12 hours every day, and you do this seven days a week, there's a number of things that I know to be true about you, maybe five. Number one, you're not in God's will because God wants you to rest. It is God's will that you rest it wasn't a suggestion that you rest. It's his will that you rest. And so if you're working every day, you're out of God's will. Number two, you're gonna burn yourself out because nobody can keep that pace forever. Vince Lombardi, the great football coach, said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And that's what happens. Number three, your families get ripped off because they never get to see you. 
And your excuse of, well, I'm doing this for my family is bogus because God's will is, is that you rest. So don't put the monkey on God's back. I'm doing this for you, you know. I'm just trying to take care of you. Number four, you're never going to experience this rich and satisfying life that Jesus came to give you because you're all goofed up. And the fifth thing that's true about you is this. I guarantee you, you're settling for the lesser life. You are. Psalms chapter 127 says, it's useless for you to work so hard from early in the morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. Now, God's not saying here that we shouldn't work or that work is evil or whatever because the Bible tells us that God worked. So it can't be evil. What God's saying here is that true peace and true rest come not from working yourself to death or whatever, but true peace and true contentment come from simply putting your trust in him. He he knows what you need. He knows. Look, I know what my children need. I know. I'm their earthly father, and I know what they need. I'll take care of it. It'd be weird if my children woke up in the morning and said, Dad, I got to get out of here, man. I got to go to work because, man, I don't know whether I'll have food in the morning, or I don't know whether I'll have a roof over my head, or I don't know whether I'll have clothes to put on. Huh? Why why would you do that? I I got you covered. Oh, no, Dad, you know. You never know. Things are going to go haywire. I'm going to go out and work, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to work, and I'll... Dude, relax, will you? I got it. Oh, no! And I think that's often what we do. The Heavenly Father says, hey, look, you seek me first. Put me first. Love me above all else. I'll take care of you. I can do that. But we're so busy just working and working and working. This isn't in my notes, and this is going to goof me up, but here's the deal. Just, I just, just remembered a story. Um, and, and I'm telling you, man, I'm just telling you, the Lord brought it to my memory. So a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there, was no, there, were, there were no balconies in this building. Okay, when we built this originally, there was no balconies. I'm going back 25 years, and I was the youth pastor here at the church. My office was right around the corner here. And when you're the youth guy at the church, you're low guy on the totem pole in just about everything. Certainly, when it comes to finances, okay, the youth guy is you know gets nothing basically. And so I was that guy for a lot of years. I didn't have a lot. Okay? So we had built this building and we had this building campaign and man, we my wife and I we gave our money and we gained our commitment and boom before you know it this place was built. But we didn't put any carpet in. Uh, we didn't paint anything really. Uh, we didn't do anything. It was all it was just kind of blank. But we got into the building. And so we had another campaign, and some of you will remember this, called Furnish the House of God. Where, hey, now let's have a special offering where we can now buy carpet and, you know, I don't know, chairs. I don't remember all the stuff we needed. Paint, you know, whatever. Office furniture. Because we had nothing, basically. And uh, right about that time, my wife and I, uh, my first wife, who died in the car wreck uh, years ago, we, uh, we were just about ready to buy our first house, okay? But we didn't have the money. My stepmom's sitting right up there, and so what we did was <laughs> we moved in to their home. They lived out in Dutch Hollow, and we said, hey, look, we're trying to save some money for the down payment, right? That was back when you had to put skin in the game. Imagine that. Okay. 
So my wife and I, we went to my mom and dad and said, hey, can we live in your house? And they said, yeah. So we move into the house and, you know, and so now we're saving the rent money from the apartment that we had out at Stone Ridge apartment complex and we're saving it up, we're saving it up, we're saving it up and, and, and we got all this money and we're, you know, we got to have a, we're going to make a down payment on the house and all that kind of stuff. And then the church comes up with this, let's furnish the house of God, I thought. And so, um, we buy the house. Uh, it was it was uh, ninety nine thousand bucks. Okay, we said I bought thirty of them back then, but I only I got to save my money. I was a youth guy. So we buy the house, and one of the things that I, I didn't really get because I was just a dumb youth guy was, you know, when I when I move into my apartment at Stone Ridge, man, they give you a refrigerator. You know, they kind of set you up. Well, all of a sudden, you're in this house, and you got no refrigerator. You know, I got no lawnmower. You got, like, nothing. But we had a house. and So we decided, hey, let's save our money, and we got to get a refrigerator. So we knew the escrow was going to close on a Monday, so we're saving our money. We'd already put some, you know, saved our down payment, and now we were saving money. We had money for a new refrigerator. And it was the Sunday where everybody was going to bring their offering for furnish the house of God. And so um, my wife and I kind of looked at each other and I said, hey, you know, what, what do you think we ought to do kind of a thing? And she goes, well, you're the spiritual leader of our home. <laughs> don't, don't throw that one at me. Well, well you know, uh, um, She said, hey, we, we have that money saved for the refrigerator. Maybe, maybe that's what we need to give. I said, well, yeah, that's an idea. You know, it's, a, <laughs> it's one of many ideas, you know, I guess. Uh, and I said, well, we, we need a refrigerator. And we're moving in like on Monday. And this is, this is the money to get the refrigerator. And she said... Well, we could always get an ice chest and put milk and stuff in it, and we could save the money over the next few months until we have money for a refrigerator. And I said, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? An ice thing. We've got to have a refrigerator. I'm not having a house with a, you know, an ice chest <laughs> cooler, <laughs> a Yeti in my home. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, this is crazy. And she goes, well, you know. Whatever you want to do. So it's Sunday morning. The regular offering's gone by. And I got the envelope with money in it, cash in it. And it was now, okay, everybody come forward. And I think we had like some bobcats in here. And everybody was dropping their money in a bobcat or something. I don't remember. And it was like, okay, now everybody come forward and bring your special gift. I was like, oh, man. Now, I was smiling because I was faking everybody out. You, you know, you're the pastor. you got to act like you're into it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're, walking down, we're walking down the aisle, and I got my arm around my wife. Hey. And the whole time I'm going, oh, man. This ain't right. I need, I, and I, I remember telling my wife, listen, man, they'll take our money in three months. Let's get the refrigerator. We'll save our money. I know the church. They're not going to say, no, we don't want your money in three months. I love, you know, come on. I know this works. And, you know, we threw the money in the deal and <laughs> smiled. Praise the Lord. Uh, so the service is over with, and I'm now sitting in my office. No joke. I'm not kidding you. That, I'm, right, right, we're sitting in my office. And my wife kept saying, you know, the whole service, I don't even remember what was being preached. All I could think about was my envelope of money. I was just giving away a carpet in the church. I need a refrigerator. And my wife kept saying, you know, let's just trust the Lord. We're going to trust the Lord. Yeah, I know, I know. So the service, I'm just no joke. I'm in my office, and my wife's in there, and there's a knock. And this family comes in. Hey. And they go, hey. Yeah, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. Hey. Hey. We heard you guys just bought your first house. And we said, hey, we did, you know, we, you know, we're moving on Monday. It's going to be great. We're excited, you know, whatever. 
Oh, man. Well, we remember when we bought our first house. And we were just thinking of you guys. And uh, there used to be a Circuit City right up here. And they said, hey, we went to Circuit City, and we bought you guys a new refrigerator. Could, 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 could we, would you let us take that? And I'm looking at my wife, and she's going, see? And I'm, I, so, so I, I, didn't want to look, I didn't want to look at her, because I, I, she was going to give me the, I could feel her born into me. And it was like, wow. And I learned a valuable lesson, really. I learned the lesson from my godly wife. And hey, he knows. He knows. Now, does it always work out like that? No. It doesn't. But sometimes it does. God knows. And he, at any moment, can do something in your life and in your family if you keep him number one in your life. Pastor Bobby read this great thought from Jesus. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And how do you live righteously? This is it. Live the right way. Live God's way. In other words, know what his will is. Seek him and live according to this. Let this, let the will of God be the thing that you seek after. And, and then Jesus says, hey, look, <laughs> I got you. Now what happens is we often get ourselves into a pickle. We get ourselves into a mess because we weren't seeking after God. He was not the focus of our lives. And now things are a mess and bam, we start seeking him and we want to know why he can't fix the problem in 20 seconds. And it took us a long time to get in the mess we're in. So not knowing God's will will rob you of the life that Jesus came to give you. Not having a balanced schedule will rob you. Number three, if you're not doing life with others, you'll settle for the lesser life. In the second book of the Bible, or the first book of the Bible in the second chapter, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper, helper suitable for him. And this is absolutely true. It's not good for man to be alone. And the principle is true for everybody. It's not good for anybody to be alone. God wants us all to be in relationship with others. We all need people in our lives, whether you get married or not. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 said, Two are better than one. Because if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and he has no one to help him up. And this is a great illustration. If you fall down, it's really good to have somebody there to help you up, right? How do we punish prisoners who do bad things while they're in prison? We put them in solitary confinement. That's the worst punishment we can come up with. Whether you like that or not, or whether we should be doing it or not, it's another statement. I've known a lot of people over the years who started the Christian life in a great way. They lived their lives in a way that honored God, but they stopped being around God's people. They stopped coming to church. They stopped hanging around other people who had a, a passion for Christ. They, they never got into a small group with others, and now they're basically living the lesser life. Oh, they're Christians, and they're saved, they're not experiencing this life God came to give them. Being a follower of Jesus Christ isn't an easy thing. There are forces that will come against you to, to stop you or discourage you. And so we need other people in our lives. I, I love this quote from Dr. Howard Hendricks. He said this, quote, A man who is not in a small group with other men is an accident waiting to happen. Now, even when you're in a small group, Men, you're an accident waiting to happen. But when you aren't fellowshipping with a group of other guys, it's not a good thing. And that's why if you come to our men's groups on Monday or Tuesday, they don't meet in rows like this. They're all around tables. 
There's hundreds and hundreds of guys because it's just a chance to meet, talk, become friends with others. The writer of Hebrews said, let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. We need other people in our lives. Uh, Number four, if you don't have peace in your relationships, you'll settle for the lesser life. In Romans chapter 12, the great apostle says, if it is possible, and sometimes it's not, but if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. One version says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Let me tell you why this is so important. It's important because when you're in conflict with somebody else, it literally sucks the life or the passion out of you. When there's unresolved conflict in your life, it just robs you of the life that Jesus came to give you. I want you to think about it. Have you ever had one of those days, you know, I don't know, guys, I'll talk to you. You wake up, things are good, got a good night's sleep, brush your teeth, get your hair combed, ready to go to work, right? Have some breakfast, have some coffee. Man, woo, good day. This is fantastic. And you're just about ready to walk out the door. And something happens with your wife. You get into a little argument with her. Changes the whole day, doesn't it? Oh, yeah? Then you get in your car, you drive away. You're just, stomach's all tight, you're eating Tums. You just, it just goofs you up. When you're out of fellowship with your spouse, man, it's tough. It's messy. When you're out of fellowship with the kids, it's tough. There's not a lot of peace. You're out of fellowship with your sister or your aunt or your uncle or a good friend, you know? Man, it's weird how it's just, whoa. And when you allow that to continue, you'll, you'll settle for the lesser life. That's why it's important if, 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 if you, know, you know, you can pull it off, that you go, hey, look, man, I'm so sorry. And by the way, guys, isn't it weird how you know you're wrong and they're right, but you dig in? And you know you're wrong. You absolutely know it. But you're not going to admit it, at least not right now. And you walk out, and you're just going, and in your brain, you're going, I'm an idiot. I am an idiot. She is absolutely right, but I am not giving in right now. And you get in your car, and you blow the whole day, and then you come home, and finally the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, and it takes like five seconds, and you look at your wife and go, I'm sorry, I was an idiot. And they go, yeah, you were. And you hug, and it's over. It literally, isn't it weird how quickly you can resolve tension in your relationships? It can happen just like that. All it takes is somebody to humble themselves. Somebody has to humble themselves. Now, if you humble yourself and you go to your aunt or your uncle or your parents or whoever it is and you say, hey, listen, I'm really sorry I was a jerk, and they say, hey, you know what, I don't care. You're you're good. You've done everything that God wants you to do. Now the monkey's on their back. But if you want to experience this greater life, wow, you got to keep all your relationships clean. Uh, Number five, if you don't examine your life, you'll settle for the lesser life. Lamentation says, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. In other words, the thought there is, is, you know, if you get alone and you say, okay, God, here I am. How's this week going? Have I said something crummy to my wife? Have I not treated her the way that you've called me to treat her? Have I not loved her the way you loved the church? How about my kids? Here I am, God. Tell me. 
and you really allow the Lord to reveal to you what he already knows. He already knows it. It's just that your flesh has just gotten in the way. And now the Lord begins to bring back to your memory maybe a way you treated an employee or an employer, your golfing mate, whoever it might be. Now you can go do something about it. But you have to have that moment where you slow down and examine your life and ask yourself, how am I doing? Where am I going? Is my life on track with God? In other words, are, are you doing God's will? Are you? Look, our flesh is just so good at what it does, man, keeping our minds off of the Lord that we can think, well, it's only been a week. I haven't been to church in a week. No, it's been a year. Oh, no, 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 it's been a week. No. No. It's been months and months and months since you've gone. But you never slowed down. I mean, I want you to think about this. I've shared this illustration with you before, but... At the Indianapolis 500, you know, they're trying to go as fast as they can around this track. Get to 500 laps. That's the whole point. And that's all they do. And they're trying to get around that thing until they get to 500 miles and get the checker flag. That's it. There's about three or four times in the race when... They actually bring the car in to a complete stop. Now you can think to yourself, well, that's stupid. I mean, if you're trying to get around that thing 500 times before anybody else, well, there's a lot of really good things that are happening at that moment. Guys are coming out, changing tires. I can change four tires in five seconds. I'd be out there for a week. If I have a flat tire out there, please, somebody come and rescue me. Because I don't, I'm not even sure I could figure out how to do the thing. And then they got guys, you know, putting oil in the thing. I don't know, wiping the windshield, fixing the flap because it was dragging too. I mean, it's unbelievable what's going on at that moment. There's a lot of good things happening. And nowadays, they actually can talk into a microphone. Hey, listen, man, my right rear tires. And so guess what? They've got the information. And now, hey, you got to bring the car in. And now we'll fix it so you can get back out there and get in the race again. And that's what, that's what examining your life has to look like a little bit. You just go, okay, that's what the Sabbath is kind of about. Day one, day two, you finally get to the seventh day. Stop. the Lord have access to your life. Get into his word in a special way. Read it and study it. Come to church and say, God, how am I doing? Is there, is there something in my life, God? And that's where God will go, yeah, let me tell you this. And you change the tires around and you can put a little gas in it, put some oil in the thing, some transmission fluid, fix the crankshaft or whatever. And then, then, then get now, Monday, go. God doesn't want you in the pit stop forever. He wants you out there. Go. Get out there. Be salt and light. But bring the car in every now and then. Otherwise, you're going to blow a tire and, and then, then, it's, then we can't fix the car. You're out of the race. Let me tell you, you don't examine your life. You're, you're going to settle for the lesser life. You'll settle for it. It just happens. Uh, n- n- number six, if you don't feed your soul, you'll settle for the lesser life. Jesus said, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me ask you, you know, what do you call a person who, what would you call a person who only ate once a week? Yeah, the joke is a supermodel, but no, you, 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 you call them, you call them starving. That's what they'd be. They, 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 they'd be starving. Okay. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's what too many Christians are doing. They're starving. They're starving their souls. 
They feed themselves once a week. For some of you, this is it. This is it. And next week, because this is it, you may not even be back next week. There just comes this moment where you just kind of fall off the, off the path, off the radar. If this is it, this is the only time you feed your soul, no good. You'll settle for the lesser life. And why is this so important that you feed your soul? Because every day of your life, there are circumstances that conspire against you to shrink your spirit and shrivel your soul every day. Every day you face distractions and disappointments. Every day you face problems and pressures. Every day you face conflicts and confusion. Every day you face frustrations and failures and fatigue. So how do you counter all those circumstances? You feed your soul with God's word. This is the bread that Jesus was talking about right here. This is it. This is the bread. You can eat all the pasta you want, and that'll feed your physical body, but it doesn't do anything for your soul. Not a thing. If you're not feeding your soul, you're going to settle for the lesser life. You're going to. Everybody can spend five minutes a day. Everybody can do this. Five minutes a day sitting there with the bread that feeds your soul. Five minutes. I'm not asking you to sit around for an hour. For some of you, you haven't spent an hour in the Word of God all year combined. Don't, don't go, well, tomorrow I'm waking up, you know, after that sermon, and I'm going to get into my prayer closet and get on my knees for two and get into the Word of God for an hour. Forget that. Don't do that. Just say, okay, here's the deal, man. I think I could gut out five minutes. Yeah, you could. Gut out five minutes. Okay. It's only been 30 seconds. Okay, you got four and a half minutes. Just keep reading it. Well, I read it and, you know, nothing happened. No angel came and sat on my shoulder. I read the word for five minutes today, and you know what? I got in my car and a tire blew around the corner. A lot of good reading the Bible does. It's like, what? What do you think? It's like... This isn't pixie dust. Say, well, if I read the Bible, then I'll, you know, close the big deal today. Maybe you might, maybe you won't, I don't know. It's not how it works. You don't go, well, you know, I'm gonna read this thing. Look, something's happening in here in a place that you can't see when you get into the scriptures when you're feeding your soul. Five minutes, for some of you, that's your decision. And number seven, If you don't apply God's word, this is the last one, you'll just settle for the lesser life. Our brother James said, but don't listen, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're just fooling yourself. Look, here's the deal. (laughs) And I say this all the time. This is pretty easy to do, isn't it? Show up here on a Saturday night. We know we give you a pretty good chair. We got the air on, you know. We give you these big jumbotrons. We we got a band that's pretty decent. We got some good speakers. We put a cafe out there for you. And we we got parking that's pretty close. It's a pretty easy thing to come to church, man. It ain't no big deal to come in here and listen to truth for an hour and a half. That ain't no big thing. No, man, I'm a I'm an unbelievable guy. Went to church for an hour and a half sat in a comfy chair. This is easy. Let me tell you where it's hard is when you hear the truth and you get up out of your chair and go, oh man, I got to do that? That's what God, that God said that? Amen. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not sure about that one. <laughs> Let me just read that again and maybe get another, you know, version of it. I want to make sure that's exactly what it says because I hate to be doing something that I don't need to be doing if you know what I mean. Unbelievable what we do at times. Look, don't fool yourself. It was easy for the people to sit on the Judean hillside and listen to Jesus preach. That was easy. Hard thing was living it, which is why so very few did. Whole nother world. So, 
Let me quickly do this. We'll run through seven questions. Are, are you going to make an effort to know God's will for your life? That's a good application question. And I don't know. You know I'm not going to follow you home. There's that old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? I can't make you do anything. All I can do is encourage you to know God's will. And the question maybe some of you need to deal with, are you going to make an effort to know what God's will is for your life? I don't know. Are you going to make an effort to balance your schedule? You going to do that? Or are you just going to, well, I, I'm going to get to that next month. I'll get to that. You, be, you know what? Your spouse has been hearing you say that for a long time. Are you going to make an effort to be in a relationship with others? Oh, man, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a guy that likes to be alone. Well, get over it and get down here to men's Bible study. Tell the guys in your group, hey, man, I'm, I'm nervous, man. I don't do this kind of stuff very well. And I guarantee you, probably sitting at the table with two other guys that said the same thing, but they showed up. Are you going to make an effort to resolve any conflict that you have with others? Or are you just going to hang on to that thing you're angry, that person? You're, you've, been, you've been angry at someone for 10 years. And you know what they're doing right now? You're all angry. And they're out playing golf. They're not even thinking about you. You don't even enter their brain. But they're in yours. And you're wasting your life. Some of you, the person's dead. And you still are hanging on to something. Maybe today. Maybe your decision today is going, okay, I'm giving it up. Lord, I'm giving it up. Are you going to make an effort to examine your life every now and then? Once a week? That'd be good. On Saturday night, maybe Sunday. Maybe sit down with your spouse and say, okay, let's, let's do something new. We're going to come to church. We'll go out and have dinner together, and then let's... Let's allow each other into each other's lives for just a minute. Now, I'm welcoming you into my life, and that's always an important thing. You, you ask them to come in. And then the other, okay, I want you to come into mine. Let's examine our lives for just a moment. How are we doing? How are we doing in our love for him? How are we doing in our love for each other? How are we doing? That'd be a good thing to do. For some of you, that might be your, your application point. Are you going to make an effort to feed your soul? For some of you, I know you're in the Word of God all the time. I know you're in Bible studies. And I get it. But for some of you, you're going, oh, dude, man. I come here and every week. You talk about bringing the Bible, and I just can't. I keep forgetting. Maybe today the decision you make is, okay, I'm getting into this thing. I'm going to feed my soul. And here's the deal. If you read the Bible five minutes a day for the next week, and at the end of the week, I don't know, you hate God more than, than you don't have to do it anymore. Just stop. Or if at the end of five days, you know, your life is miserable because you gave up 35 minutes in a 168-hour week, then you know what? Just put your Bible down and don't ever do it again. I guarantee you, you're, you'll be okay. You'll live, giving, giving God fight. Maybe that's the decision you need to make. And number seven, are you going to make any effort to actually do what the Bible says? See, some of you are sitting on some information, and you know. You know what it is that God wants you to do. You know. Or you know the thing that God wants you to stop doing. You know. And for you, maybe the application is, Okay, I gotta stop doing that. I know, I know that it's not what God's will is for my life. I know it. I don't know. I don't know what the application is. That that's for you and the Lord. 
But hopefully maybe one of those seven things will give you a thought. Everybody stand up, okay? Jesus said, my purpose is to give them, you, a rich and satisfying life. I hope that God might use this time here today to help us all maybe know how to better overcome the lesser life that's out there. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time here tonight. And I'm always glad to be with God's people. It's always a win. Always. Thank you, Lord, for a chance to worship you through our singing and giving and the proclamation of your word. Thank you, Lord, for all of the things that you did last weekend, Easter weekend, all these cards I got in my hands. Unbelievable, God. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Give us a, a, just a, a great day tomorrow, a great week next week, and I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord bless you, okay? Live for Christ.